Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue our thoughts on the Jesus way to pray. We passed out some notes, uh, kind of the way it's going to go with, with the notes. You'll be able to see on the screen if you'll see some of the fill in the blanks and stuff like that. I got them underlined on the screen. If you come right here, you'll see it on, on your notes if you want to fill them in like that. Uh, if you're not a note taker, don't worry about it. But uh, sometimes for me, it just helps me stay focused and what I'm doing and all that kind of thing. And you got plenty of paper to make your own little jot down your own notes and all that kind of stuff. So, all right. So the Jesus way to pray. Uh, we're just talking about prayer. Um, and we got to allow the scriptures to train us in prayer. Amen. Uh, you're not on your own. You've got good believers that can help you. But most importantly, we've got the word of God that can help us uh, when we pray. We've got this Jesus prayer, which is called the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples Prayer that he's given us to help train us and to teach us how to pray. Uh, we've got the whole book of Psalms as a book of prayers that uh, is meant for us to uh, follow and to pray and to, uh, to learn and glean and, and build our relationship with God around those kind of truths. And then we've got several apostolic prayers that are throughout the New Testament letters, especially of Paul, uh, where he literally writes out his prayer. And I use a lot of those kind of things as guides and uh, just to help me pray. When I pray for you, a lot of times... Uh, my prayer is that Ephesians 1 prayer that Paul prays, uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who Christ is. So all these prayers help us to stay on track, help us to, um, to train our minds and our understanding and our, and our desires and hope. Uh, Jesus prayed, so prayer must be important, huh? Jesus prayed and he taught us how to pray and prayer is an essential part of the kingdom of God. It's an essential part of, of you know, sometimes people think about, why should I pray? I mean, it's just me. Why should I pray? But there's, there's a great mystery and a great power behind it all that somehow or another, God uses your prayers. I'm not just talking about Billy Graham's prayers or some great spiritual giant's prayers. I'm talking about your prayers. And, and you know, your prayer may be around just mostly the influence of your own children and family and closest friends and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, that's important. That is really, really important because think about if everybody covered that, that ground on, on their own, the whole world would be covered, wouldn't it? Even though maybe just a little bit. And a lot, a lot of times, Lily, when she was real little, she used to pray. She would, she would pray and she would name everybody and all this stuff and, you know, just the six or eight, ten people that she would name. And then she would say, and Lord, I just pray for everybody I didn't mention. <laughs> so she prayed for the whole world in one sentence. How about that? So uh, now, now Jesus has come from heaven to earth. We know that, right? He's come from heaven to earth to impart. One of the reasons he came was to impart heaven's wisdom to us. So when we hear Jesus, when you see those red letters in your Bible and you hear him teaching, you hear him imparting wisdom to us, it's heaven talking to us. And he is wanting to draw us out of the ways of that old kingdom. Now, for us as believers, he's already drawn us out of the old kingdom. But now he's in, interested in getting those old ways out of you. The old ways of thinking, the old ways of doing life, the old ways of treating people, the old ways of thinking about yourself, everything, you know. And, and so when you hear Jesus teaching, he's drawing you out of that old way into a whole brand new living way, the kingdom of God. He's drawing us out of the kingdom of darkness because there's a whole lot of believers and followers of Christ that are, are still doing life the old way. If I'm not careful, I'll do it. I'll slip back into it. Anybody like that besides me? Nah. Y'all got it together? <laughs> so he's drawing us. He's pulling us into this idea of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God operates and how the rule of God goes on in their life. 
Now, last week we talked about this idea of in secret. It's, it's just a few verses right before what's known as the Lord's Prayer. We, we covered verses 5 through 8 of Matthew chapter 6. Uh, just one thing I just meditating on a little bit after that, uh, after we taught that last week. You know, Jesus told us several things not to, to, to not do. But he says this, he says, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And we talked about the importance of that secret place. You know, Jesus is combating this idea of us wanting to be seen and heard, isn't he? Remember he said, don't be like the Pharisees where you're putting on a show for somebody or trying to parade your spirituality so people think well of you. He said, that's not what this is about at all. And if that's all you're wanting, then you've got your reward when everybody says, oh, he's a good fellow. That's, and that's and that a shame. You're praying for somebody to get healed of something, and you're not going to get an answer to your prayer. You're just going to get a hand clap from them. That's, that's a terrible trade-off, isn't it? It's a terrible trade-off. So Jesus says to combat that thing that goes on in us sometimes, he says, you get in private, and you... I like this phrase. This is what stood out to me. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't think I magnified it enough last week. But he said, when you go into your room, shut your door. What do you think he's talking about right there? Privacy. Shut the world out, everything included. Distractions, right? He's talking about shut everything else out. And it's a great way to unplug from this world and plug into his world. It's important. It's super important. So that, that idea of shut your door, you know, that for us, you know, what, what are some examples that we could do to help minimize the distractions? Help me out. What's some things we could do? Turn that phone off. That phone would be a big one, wouldn't it? Turn the TV off. Okay. What else? Wait for nap time with the kids. That, that is important. Now that is a reality in mama's lives that you that sometimes you've got to get it when you can. You know, so when things calm down, you you take some of those moments in time. You know, so shut your door. Shut your door. I think sometimes that means gearing down your mind too. Gearing down yourself, you know, shut, shut out the distractions. My mind wants to go. I don't have time to teach it, but remember Mary and Martha. Remember that story about Mary and Martha? It says that Martha was distracted about many things, and Mary chose the better. She was distracted with service, actually, and she was wanting to do the right thing, but something was in her heart, and she was very distracted. And the Lord said this, Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus to listen to him, it says that she's chosen the better thing, you know, so let's, let's learn to choose the better thing over all the distractions. And that, that phone, for me, is a big one, you know, because so much of my computer and daytimer and all that kind of stuff and schedule and all that stuff's all in my phone. And it's such a habit. And, and in any given time, anybody or anything can call and distract me. And it don't have to be anybody calling me. It can just be a notification from ESPN, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I got to find out all that stuff, you know. So, so I had to just kind of close it all out. You know, and it's hard. It's harder than you think. It's harder than you think to shut it all down and shut it all out. But Jesus says, shut your door. Let, let's go. On. Let's move on. All right. So we're, we're talking about the prayer. What I want to do tonight is, is just do a little bit of an overview of the prayer. Uh, we're going to meet again two Wednesdays right here. Again, next Wednesday, we're going to have our, our Thanksgiving dinner. But we're going to skip two weeks. So what I want you, I'm going to give you a challenge in a minute, but we're going to just read this prayer. And remember, it's not just a teaching on prayer. This is actually a prayer that Jesus gives us. And I believe he intends on us praying it. All right. So we're going to help you with some of that in a minute. All right. So let's start in verse number nine. You ready? In this manner, therefore, pray. Can you say it with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I hear some of that old English language coming out, don't you? You can't hardly help it, can you? You can't hardly help it. I always had to make myself say yours is the kingdom because I was raised on that King James Bible too. And it's perfectly fine, but I, I, I just read out of the New King James. You probably figured that out, out already. Like the old boy said, it's not the one Paul used, but it is the one Timothy used. <laughs> never mind, never mind. That's an old bad joke. All right. All right. So the rabbi and his disciples. Now, the word rabbi is just the Jewish way of saying my teacher or my master, uh, my, my trainer, my, my, uh, my Lord, that, that kind of thing. The idea of the rabbi and his disciples. They, they responded to Jesus and they made a request to him. They said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And it was common practice in those days that the rabbi or the teacher would give his disciples a prayer. And that prayer was to be prayed daily. And that prayer was very important to the life and, and the, the ministry of that rabbi and the life of those disciples. Uh, the prayer would capture the essence of the rabbi's heart, the rabbi's devotion, and the rabbi's teachings. Okay, Now Jesus does the exact same thing. Jesus gives us, his disciples, a prayer. And it is so that we know his heart. What is his heart? We'll know his devotion because this is a prayer Jesus lived. This is not just, this is the way Jesus lived. Because it's, it, it's really hard to pray incompatible with how you live. It's really hard to do that, isn't it? I mean, you can, you can be a hypocrite like Jesus was talking about earlier. But it's really hard to maintain that pace. Sooner or later, it's going to be a breakdown. And this prayer, literally, you could, you, could, you could argue that this prayer encapsulates the majority of the things that Jesus taught. You know, they could almost be categories of the things that he taught about. Uh, so his teachings are, are shown, and so it's, it's important. What we're going to do over the next several weeks after we, we get done with our Thanksgiving dinner, we're going to go back into each one of the phrases and just take and see the scriptural foundation behind it and see what Jesus and the scriptures teaches about, like, our Father who art in heaven about thy kingdom come, all that kind of thing. We're going to take time, but today we're going to do kind of an overview, all right? So what was the essence? Okay, this prayer is about the essence of who Jesus is and what he's about. What was the essence of Jesus' life and teachings? He, he kind of summarized it in, one, in two different places for us, didn't he? He said that the, the two great commandments are these. And that, it just wasn't Jesus' idea. That was, a, that was a prominent idea in conservative circles that Jesus was running with. But Jesus takes it for his own. And he says the, the two great commandments are what life's all about. What were the two great commandments? Remember that? What were they? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is just like it, right? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in this, Jesus said, hangs all the law, which was the, the five books of Moses, all the law and all the prophets, would have, which would have in that time summarized almost the whole rest of the Old Testament, right? So Jesus says everything hinges on this idea of loving God and loving other people, right? So that, that would be his focus in this prayer. I want you to see it. They're kind of molded over in your mind. Can you, can you hear where love of God is, is prominent in that prayer? Can you hear that? Hallowed be your 
name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That, that's loving God, isn't it? That's, that's the idea what Jesus puts in there, loving God. And then you got the idea about give us. Give us. That's, that's the idea of my needs being met, but not just my needs, but Paul and Pat's needs. All of us. Our needs, right? And the forgiveness thing. Not, not just forgive me, which that's an important need in my life, Lord. I want you to forgive me, but, but not just you forgive me, Lord, but help me to do what? Help me to love people the way you've loved me, basically. Help me to forgive others. You see all that kind of thing? And all the us's that come right thereafter. So this is the idea, to focus our hearts and minds on these two things, loving God and loving others. All right? Now, the challenge I want to give you for the next two weeks is this. I want you to pray this daily, if, if you will join me in that. I would like for you to pray this daily. You, you can uh, pray it slow, pray it mindful. Think of each word as you kind of go through it. I, I just want us to kind of adopt this as a, as a practice, and I, I want to show you something. I believe the Lord's going to use it. Um, how many have gone through that in times and seasons in your life where you kind of made this prayer a habit? Anybody? Kind of, uh, a lot of times in church, it's kind of part of the liturgy sometimes, isn't it? Now, I'm not wanting it to get to where it becomes that vain repetition that Jesus was talking about, but uh, ritual is important to our lives. You know that? Ritual. We kind of got one every Sunday, don't we? We kind of got one every Wednesday. Those are rituals in our lives. Uh, baptismal is a ritual. The Holy Communion is a ritual. We, we meet, and meet together. Those are rituals. But you also need those in your personal life. Rituals. You got, you got some rituals that help you stay healthy. You brush your teeth every morning, right? You take a shower at least two or three times a week, right? <laughs> Depending on who you are, right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, the weather's cooling off, so you can skip a day or two. That's right. Anyway. Uh, but you got these rituals. You, you probably eat close to the same times every day. You eat very similar things throughout a month's period of time. And we've got these rituals, that, and rituals help keep our life in rhythm. And spiritual rituals are important too. Now, they can become dead rituals, and it doesn't do us any good. In fact, it does us harm. But I, I, I'm not talking about dead rituals. You know, Jesus' life was full of ritual. It was full of it. All the Sabbath rituals, all the, the, the feast days, all the calendar that God had put in place through uh, the whole idea of the, the law of Moses. Jesus lived in a rhythm. And if, in fact, throughout the Gospels, it tells us as was his custom. He lived in a rhythm. And I think it'd be really important. I, I don't know about you, but if I get out of rhythm, I, I get a little cranky. Anybody like that? I know you ain't like that, are you, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> Watch out now. Yeah, uh, so, so I think that would be important. Just, just take this on. Take this on as a challenge. I believe it will help you out uh, in the mornings, the evenings, whatever time you want to adapt it. Uh, there's good, good uh, history behind the idea that the disciples probably prayed this prayer at least three times a day. In fact, they prayed a couple other different prayers that were rituals. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not in, in Hebrew root studies and things like that. There was a prayer called the Amidah which is 18 sections that they probably would have had memorized. There are 18 prayer sections that cover a whole lot of life. You go look it up and Google the Amidah. I'll give you a copy of it for too long as we cover it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a Jewish thing. It's, it's not a Christian thing. Uh, but Jesus more than likely prayed that every morning and every evening. It's, I mean, it's a strong possibility. And then they had the prayer called the Sma. You heard the Sma? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love, the, we just said that right there about the great commandment, right? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it continues on. It's, it's just lifted right out of Deuteronomy. 
Okay? And they would pray that every morning and every evening. And they would also have it written on the doorpost of their house. They would have these little, little holders that they would take the this, this scroll. They would write it on the scroll and they would take it up and they'd put it right in that little place. And every time they get, it's called a mezuzah. When, every time they go by the door, they would touch that. And it's to be a reminder. Okay? And it's just in keeping with Moses' law. These are some of the things that they practice to keep up. Now, Moses, he said, write it on the doorpost of your house. Now, their interpretation or obedience to that was to take that mezuzah with the scripture. And every time they go in and out, the Lord will bless you coming in. Touch that thing. I'll love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the Lord will bless you going out. You touch that thing and you go out. Now, those things are important to us as human beings. Because our life is made to operate on a habit. You realize that? Life is made to If you had to think about everything that you ever do, you would lose your mind. So God created you to, to operate a lot on habit. In fact, when you drive, it's scary because we probably ride with some of you and we would know that you ain't paying no attention and you just kind of going on habit. You don't know if you ran that light or not. <laughs> You're just kind of going on habit. Spiritual life's the same way. It works best in a rhythm. It works best in a rhythm. All right? Uh, you can paraphrase the words. I'm going to give you some paraphrases a little bit later that you may want to choose and it's written there in your notes. Uh, but please keep the structure and the flow. It's important. Just keep that structure and flow. Uh, Jesus intended this to be a prayer for us as disciples. Okay? All right? And we get, you got you to fight to keep the words alive in you because you know how it is when you memorize something. You know, the next thing you know, you're going, I finally art in heaven, I'll be the name that can come, that will be done on earth as in heaven. Be, you know, and, and you didn't miss the whole deal. So the issue is not reciting it. The issue is really praying it, right? Okay. So you fight to keep the words alive. We'll give you some things to help you. Let's, let's just kind of go in here and uh, i got a contact rolling on me. All right. Our Father in heaven. Let's, let's just deal with that very first part of that prayer. Jesus says, I want you to pray and I want you to pray in like this. Okay. In this manner. Our Father, we always say, who art in heaven or in heaven. Address the Lord when you're talking to him. Address him. If I'm, if I'm going to talk to Paul, hey, Paul, how you doing? I mean, it just, that's who he is. You know, and it just, when, when you engage God like that and address him by his name, and especially by the idea of Father, I think it's really important because it, it helps your mind engage him. You're not just throwing something up in the air hoping somebody hears it. You're talking to your heavenly Father. In fact, we say it like that sometimes. He's our heavenly Father. In fact, when Paul prayed earlier, he said, Dear Heavenly Father. We say that a lot, don't we? When we pray. And that, that just comes right out. It's just reversing that phrase right there. Okay? Address the Lord because you're talking with Him. And in fact, it says at times that Jesus, when He prayed publicly, He lifted up His eyes toward heaven. What was He doing? Well, He was addressing His Father. He was addressing His Father as if his father wasn't some mystical mist in the sky or some power out there. He's addressing his father as if he's the reality of life and death, of heaven and earth, if he's the reality. So Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. All right? Our father in heaven. So if, if he's father, then that puts me in the position of being like a child, speaking with my father. And you know, there's something about childlike faith that, that God just likes, doesn't he? In fact, you get with a child and you'll find out what childlike faith is. I think that's why God lets them come right up among us all the time because they are not bothersome. They are our little reminders of what life is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be simple. It's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to enjoy it. You, 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 know, you know what I'm talking about. 
and you're supposed to be sincere. You, you got two little boys, you know about this. You're supposed to be sincere and, and you know, and, and, and in faith. Children have more faith than anybody. They're just presumptuous. Uh, when they say, Mama, I want some milk, they just, they're just so presumptuous, they just know Mama's got milk. And they don't want no big spill about it. They just want milk, right? So be like a child. Your father's going to take care of you. And this idea of our father, we'll, we'll talk more in detail about that later, but father, that is just a beautiful way to address God. Because if he's my father, that means I'm not an orphan. That means I'm not by myself. I'm not just on my own. And it's a family. We're, 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 we're part of a kingdom, and what we find out is this kingdom's a family. That's what you find out. In fact, the, the, two, the first two parts of the Trinity are father and son. Those are family terms right there. All right. So heaven. Now listen to this idea of heaven. Now this, I, I don't want this to be just new to you, but if, maybe, maybe it's revolutionary. I don't know. Um, it shook my world a few years back when I just kind of come to grips with this. Heaven. Jesus taught us that heaven is right now with us. It's near us. And that what he said, that the, the good news is that the kingdom of the heavens or the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. That's what I'm doing. I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven. So it's not just up there. Now the kingdom is here with us because of what Jesus has provided. You got that? So th this idea that he's here and not just there. Right? And I think about it like this. Literally, in, in, the, in the original language, the word is, is heavens, our father in the heavens, or our father of the heavens, okay? Now, think about the heavens that he's over, okay? In, in biblical days, they viewed the heavens as three parts, the heaven that we live under, you know, then the atmospheric heaven, and there was the heaven that God lived in. That's where they viewed things, and that he is the Lord of the heavens. He's the Lord of it all. You see what I'm talking about? So it's not that when you say he's in heaven, it's not that he's just up there way above everything, which that is, it is a little bit of that, but it's that he's in the heavens. He's in the atmosphere where I'm at. You see what I'm talking about? He's here with us. Heaven is the atmosphere that we live in. So here's, here's another idea to paraphrase this if you need to use this. And, and you can use these paraphrases when you pray over the next couple of weeks if you want to, or, or maybe come up with some of your own. Here's a paraphrase for our Father in heaven. What we're really saying is our Father who is always near us, and always present with us. Now what's that going to do when you just all of a sudden quicken your mind to that idea? What's that going to do? I mean, faith's going to all of a sudden rise up in you. And to, to know that God's with us. He's with you. You got it? Right? Everybody good? All right. Our Father who is always near us. Always present with us. This next phrase. Hallowed be thy name. Have you used hallowed in a sentence today, this week? Have you used that at all? <laughs> what in the world does that mean? Uh, well, we just got through separate, uh, celebrating, you know, as a nation or country, the, the uh, idea of Halloween. That word hallowed is there in that word right there. That's probably the most we know about hallow, right? It, the idea is holy. It's set apart. It's sacred. It has the idea of uniqueness. Nothing like it, okay? So when you say that God is holy, you're not just saying that he's perfect, because when you're saying that, you're saying that he is without sin. And to define God to, with the idea of sin is kind of not really that good to me. He's way above that. He's way beyond that. The idea that God is holy is the idea that he is absolutely other. That there's nothing like it. In fact, he, he told Israel the first two commandments. Remember that? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
And the second one was what? Thou shalt have no graven images of anything like beast or man or, or bird or fowl, anything, nothing. No, no images. Why no images? Well, because God's not like any of that. He created all that, but he's not like any of that. You see, he's, he's holy. He's totally other. Does that make sense to you? He's totally other. And he's so other that every time those cherubim fly around his throne and they look and, and those cherubim and seraphim, they fly around his throne, they say, holy, 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 holy. And they make another lap. And they look at God and they say, holy, holy. Every time they look at him, they're like, there's nothing like you. There's nothing like you. So this idea of holy, holy be your name. Holy is your name. It's the idea of being treasured, cherished, or loved. Now, let me ask you this. Are there any names that you treasure? Any names of people that you treasure? Hmm. Well, like the name Sandy, I, you know, that, that name's forever treasured in, in my mind and memory and heart. You're right. And not just the name, you know, the person that it's attached to. You know, and you probably got some grandbabies like that or something, don't you? Or, or some favorite nieces and nephews or some, you know. Or some favorite friends, or, or your spouse, or or maybe your mom. I mean, my, my grandparents' names, they're, they're treasured and they're very unique. My grandparents' name was Clovis and Idris. And if you ever see a tree carved in Clovis and Idris, that's my family. I can guarantee you, there ain't another <laughs> Clovis and Idris in the whole world, I would imagine. But those are names I, I cherish, you know. And there's, not, there's nobody else like them in my life, you know. So, how do people normally treat the name of God in our world today? pejoratively don't they I mean it's just it's a curse word it's a slander it's a it's a impulse reaction to something I mean you can't even watch a tv show anymore and somebody's not throwing out God's name in vain somehow even on regular tv nowadays you know what I'm talking about so his name is not hallowed you know what I'm talking about his name is it, it's become very commonplace in fact, we get on to our children because sometimes they just say, dear God or my God. And sometimes I catch myself and I have to say, whoa, whoa, man, his name's not common language. It's not common spoken. It's not to be common like that. It's to be hallowed. It's to be sacred to us. And that doesn't mean sacred like we can't say it, but you know what I'm talking about. Because I'm not, I'm not going to let you go and take my pulpit that's in there and sit there and eat your milkshake on top of it. I ain't going to let you do that. Why? Well, it's not full milkshakes. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's a sacred piece of furniture. And we don't think about those kind of things in, in our day and age as much because we lost some of that idea. But it's a sacred piece of furniture. It's not just to go and if I'm cutting a piece of two by four off, I'm not going to take that thing and prop it on my, my pulpit and cut the two by four. It's not, it's, it's, it's not used for that purpose. It's not common. You know what I'm talking about? God's name is the same way. In fact, Jewish his, uh, people, conservative Jewish people, they won't even speak the name of God or write it out. Now, I'm not saying we have to go that way because Jesus has made a new and living way for us. But there's such a sacredness to the name of God that they won't even say it. It's the unspoken name is what they call it. So the chief desire of the people of God is that God's name be holy. It be hallowed. It be cherished. That it's treasured. That it's loved. Because if God's name is loved, that means God's love. And see, what was, the, what was one of the chief commandments, the great commandments, what was one of them? That we should love God. Well, this is one of the ways we do it. See, Jesus is teaching us to pray this idea, to pray it, okay? So here's, here's a paraphrase of that, hallowed be thy name. May your name be treasured, cherished, and loved. Maybe that makes a little bit more sense to you, I don't know. 
Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. All right. The idea is that God is in the business of joining heaven and earth together. That's what he's always been about. That's what Eden was about. It was this space where God's space and man's space were not separated, but they were together. The temple was one of those spaces where God joined heaven and earth at the temple. His presence was known there. He was there. All right. So God is in the business of joining heaven and earth. And this idea of his kingdom coming it has to do with the rule and reign of God in us and in our world. So the idea of kingdom is the idea of God's reign, right? The idea of God's rule, God's authority being over us and we being submit, submitted or surrendered to his will and his purposes. Now, that word come has is, is, is always struck me. Your kingdom, do I? Come. 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 Our expectation is for God to come now and ultimately in Jesus' return. I don't know why it is. Every time we read in the scriptures, we read about Jesus coming, we think about us going. But the scripture is very plain about him coming to the earth. It's very plain about it. In fact, the book of Revelation ends with this picture of all of a sudden, after everything is, is, is healed and redeemed, everything comes underneath Jesus' rule, that heaven and earth again is what? It's joined together again. That's what the picture of the book of Revelation, how it culminates. How, how human history will have its new beginning. And you do know that, that the end is a brand new beginning. <laughs> That's good. All right. Now, this idea of your kingdom come, your kingdom come, this is the answer to everything that ails us as humans, everything that ails us world, our world, everything that's a problem in our world, the cure is God's kingdom coming. We see that in Jesus. So here's a paraphrase for that your kingdom come. May your rule and reign come to me and all around me. Now, now think about that. Your kingdom come. Just to pull the idea, and he says later, on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? What are you made out of? You're made out of two things. Dirt and breath. God's breath, right? Earth. You're... you're, you're <laughs> Some, somebody said, Chris, you're just a dirt bag. It's all right. No, it's all right. <laughs> you're, you're made out of earth. Now, what if, what if there's an idea in, in, in one of the meanings of that is that your kingdom come to this earth, this bit of earth. I mean, that's what I'm hoping happens in my life more than ever. You know, I've already had a taste of all the other stuff. I want his kingdom to come in more fullness. May your rule and reign come to me and all around me and your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, God has a plan, a big cosmic plan for sure, but he's got a plan for you. You know that? We used to say that all the time and it kind of got kind of old hat for people to say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, that's true, isn't it? He really does. And God has thoughts towards you. He has thoughts for you. He has a destiny in mind. He has desires for you. He's got desires about the way you raise your children. He's got desires about the way you, you treat your spouse, about how you handle your money, how you, how you handle your day, how you treat other people. God's got all kinds of desires for your life, for businesses for you to start, for things for you to do to help people. He's got all kinds of desires for you. He's got a will. That's what we call it, right? It's thoughts and desires, intent. And, and the idea is, as his people, we are coming to realize that Father really knows best for my life. 
That took me a little while. I became a Christian and then I had to realize that. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I gave my life to Jesus and then I found out that he really does have a will for my life. I was kind of shocked by that because I already had one. I didn't know I needed his will. I already had mine. You know, I had, I had, I was going to be a baseball player. That's what I was going to, I had a will. I had, I had very intent of heart going that direction, headed that way. Everything I had, all my energy and effort was put that direction, 110%. And then he comes into my life and I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) And I discovered, now then it took me several years after that. Now I'm not, not just playing about that. That's, that's not necessarily a great testimony, but it took me several years to realize that his will's best. It became this arm wrestling battle from, between me and him for a long time. I, I, I know you ain't got those kind of problems, but y'all pray for me. I got those kind of problems. I'm, I'm just a little hard-headed sometimes, you know? And I had to come to the realization that, Father, you really do know best. All right? Here's a paraphrase for that. Your will be done. May what you want be done. Your desires for this day come to me, through me, and all around me. May what you want be done. A little typo right there. You can write that in. May what you want be done. Hmm. On earth as it is in heaven. And man, we could spend days and days on this. I, I want to teach this maybe come, come January, February. Just, just deal with that phrase. On earth as it is in heaven. Now, we're, we're not praying again, take us to heaven. We're, we're talking about bring heaven to us. He's going to take care of all the heaven stuff. While we're here, we're, we're occupied with you helping us, you coming to us. You, we call it revival. We call it refreshing. We call it renewal. We call it all kind of things, you know, a move of God, a movement, and all that kind of thing. Can you see that? But we're wanting him to bring heaven to us. I mean, when I'm praying for somebody to be healed of sickness, I'm praying that heaven comes to them and helps them. When I'm praying for somebody to be lifted out of their discouragement and despair, and I'm literally praying for them maybe face-to-face, I'm praying for heaven to come and help. You know what I'm talking about? On earth as it is in heaven. So God is in the business again of joining heaven and earth. And how are things in heaven where God rules 100%? How are things in heaven? He's doing okay. and It's perfectly fine. And we're praying that this comes to us and all around us. So this is a request for righteousness. See, when heaven comes, things are just done right. People are treated right. Economy works right. Poor is taken care of. That's right. Nobody hungry. That's right. Nobody without clothes. Nobody without their needs met. That's right. Things are done right. People that lead make wise decisions. Not selfish ones. You know what I'm talking about? Those kind of things. See, when we pray for the kingdom, we're praying for God to come and make things right. You know? And you know, when, when it says, at one spot Paul says that, that when people see Jesus, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. You know really what's going to happen in those moments? We're, all of humanity, I don't care if you're Muslim, I don't care if you're American, I don't care if you're Christian, I don't care if you're black, white, red, yellow, purple, pink, or whatever you are. Every, humani- every piece of humanity that's ever lived Every person that's ever lived is all of a sudden going to see Jesus in his glory. And everybody's going to hit the deck and say, you're the only one that can make all this right. That's what's going to happen. 
I've always, I used to have the picture that God's just going to slap everybody in the back of the head and they're all going to hit their knees. I used to have that picture. But really what's going to happen, everybody's going to come to a realization that you're the only one that can do this right. You're the only one that can straighten this mess out. You're going to see Jesus like that. Our, our glory is that we get to see him like that now and begin to let him work in our lives like that now. And it's not perfect because we still struggle with a lot of things. But we can progress. We can make progress, can't we? All right. So it's righteousness, it's everlasting love coming. That's, that's God's kind of love, that everlasting love. It, no, it just knows no boundaries, no conditions. There's no strings on this. You know, he's not going to pull the cord one day and say, oh, I got you. <laughs> it's an everlasting love. It's a pure joy. That's what the kingdom's about. It's a pure joy. It's a joy that's, that's rooted in security because Father's in, in charge. I don't have any worries now. Father's in charge. He's in, not just in charge of the world. He's in charge of me. So I can, I can literally live in a pure joy where I don't have stress, I don't have fear, I don't have doubt, I don't have worry, I don't have all that anxiety and mess pushing on me. I literally can have pure joy. Isn't that what the world's looking for? My goodness, we're looking for it all under every rock, nook, and cranny. And then the idea of perfect peace. That's just a phrase in our world. We don't even know what that is. It's more than the opposite of strife. It has something to do with Again, that idea of everything's right, so we're at peace, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. See, all that stuff, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is what Paul said. That's why I listed those things out like that. And, and then it's everlasting love. You don't know what everlasting love is? 1 Corinthians 13, that's what it is, that idea. Here's the paraphrase, on earth as it is in heaven. May your rule come and desires be done in me and all around me as it is done in heaven, make our place look like your place. <laughs> make my home look like your home. <laughs> make my family look like your family. The fellowship that you have with Father, Son, and Spirit, make, make our family like that, you know? Make our place look like your place. I like that. <laughs> All right, we better pick up some pace here. Give us this day our daily bread. That's just the idea God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of us, right? And notice the us again. That's, that's the idea of my concern is not just my needs, but it's also your needs. Because when God comes into your life, he, he, he opens up all kinds of things to you. You know, the whole world opens up to you. It's not, you don't, you're no longer just inward and selfish. All of a sudden, the needs of others begin to matter, don't they? All right? So it's more than just bread. We frame it up, give us this day our daily bread. It's more than bread. It's about all of your needs being met. Every need you got. Emotional needs, spiritual needs, financial needs, physical needs. Every need you can possibly think. It's what this, this is included in this. Asking him for just today. You know what I'm just asking for today? <laughs> He's going to be there tomorrow too. So you know, I can, I can relax a little bit. Yeah, and that's exactly what Jesus said. Take care of today, today, and tomorrow, there'll be stuff to take care of it tomorrow. You know, it'll take care of its own stuff, all right? Now, do we really live like that? And I'll say Jesus is trying to pull us into this kingdom way. He's pulling, he's pulling on you. He's saying, hey, there's a new way to live. There's a better way to live. <laughs> all right, and, and when, when you're praying this, probably specific needs are going to come to mind, maybe your own specific needs. Go ahead and list them out. 
Make your request known. List it out. Maybe needs of other people. List them out. Don't just blow through it. Take your time. Let him prompt your mind. All right? Trust more, stress less. That's a good word, ain't it? Trust more, stress less. Now, here's a paraphrase for this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us today the things we need for today. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Debts, trespasses, sins, faults, offenses. This idea of forgiveness, isn't it? So you breathe in. I got a sermon. You may have heard it online. I don't know if it was, I left it online or not. Uh, I'll be preaching again here real soon. But it's called breathe in, breathe out. Forgiveness has to be breathed in. That's where you receive it for yourself, right? Just like oxygen. You receive it for yourself. And then you exhale forgiveness to others. That's important, isn't it? And that's a flow of life. We breathe in, we breathe out. That's a flow of life. There's also a flow of life in the kingdom. You breathe in God's forgiveness and you breathe it out to other people. That's important. Daily cleansing. You cleanse your physical body daily. This is about your inner man being cleansed every single day. Isn't it interesting, though, that, he, that daily forgiveness is needed on us, on our part? That's interesting because it's just forgiveness is just not a one and done thing. Now, it's a one and done thing when I come into the kingdom. But I'm not perfect. You, you probably figured that out already. I ain't been here but a month. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not perfect. And if you want to ask somebody the truth about it, you ask this lady right here. She'll tell you the truth on it. And, and she's, she can be honest about it. Some. Just, just, but you can be honest, but be kind. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, she used to say that yeah and I'm like oh lord have mercy this is going to crash hard (laughs) so here's the idea keep a short account between you and God don't let things stack up on you keep your heart clean between you and God every day every day here's here's a good personal ritual and sorry for the idea but when, when I get in the shower and I cleanse my physical body, I, also, I go through this whole idea. Clean my mind a little. Clean my heart. You know, clean these hands. These feet. Stepped in some stuff yesterday. <laughs> Help me out. Clean me up. Now, you may want to use that for your practice. When I brush my teeth, oftentimes, I talk about, I think about my words. Clean them out, Lord. Clean that tongue. It's a mess. I know with one one breath I praise you and the other breath I'm talking bad about somebody else. Clean me up from that. I know you don't have those problems, but it helps me out a lot. It helps me out a lot. But when I go through my physical rituals, I go through my spiritual ones too. Now think about it. If you do that every day, it's going to help your heart be stronger and cleaner. It's going to help you now. You think Jesus knows what he's talking about? (laughs) He's the master. No doubt about it. And this idea of forgiving others. Don't keep grudges. Don't keep grudges. And you, you've met bitter old people. Maybe you've got some things in your heart. You've met bitter old people. Well, it's because they didn't do this. You know? You say, well, I'm let off the hook. Well, I'm going to tell you, God lets you off the hook a lot. That's the truth, isn't it? Here's a paraphrase on that. Forgive Father, forgive my sins and offenses that I've committed against you and others. And I forgive those who have offended me. And as you go through that, specific things may come to mind. Specific people may come to mind. When you're praying through that, don't just blow through that. Take care of your business. Do whatever, all right? We're almost done. 
And do not lead us into temptation. Just real simple here. Keep us out of trouble. <laughs> Don't we? You need to pray that more often. Keep us out of trouble. Deliver us from evil. Save us from everything that is bad and harmful. You got it? Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Simply put, you are the one in charge. You are the one with all the power and all the authority. The glory and the praise all belong to you. Amen. And I heard my friend Dallas Willard say this about amen. That's just the way we want it. <laughs> That's just the way we want it. Because oftentimes with amen, you know, it's just like, oh, well, good, we're done. <laughs> he finally finished praying. Amen. You know, that's why we look at amen sometimes. So just to kind of give it more life, amen. All this is just the way we want it. Amen. All right, well, let's pray. And I'm, I'm going to pray, if you don't mind. I'm going to pray according to these paraphrases. Is that all right? Can I do that? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. And Jesus, us as your disciples, we come to you and ask you to teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us what these words mean. Uh, Lord, help us to put them in, my, in our hearts so that we don't sin against you. Uh, but more than not sinning, Lord, but we grow into your image and likeness and we, we begin to take on your heart, your desires, your devotion, your ways, Lord. Help us, Lord. And we just pray as you taught us. Our Father, who is always near us and always present with us, may your name be treasured, cherished, and loved. And may your rule and reign come to me and all around me. And may what you want be done and all of your desires for this day, may they come to me. May they come through me. And may your desires come all around me. And may your rule come and your desires be done in me and all around me as it's done in heaven. And Lord, make our place look like your place. And give us today the things that we need for today. And forgive us of our sins and our offenses that I've committed against you and others. And Lord, I forgive those who have offended me, whether they intended to or not. And keep us out of trouble, Lord. And save us from everything that is bad and harmful. And you are the one in charge. You're the one with all the power and authority. You're the one that deserves all the glory and all the praise. It all belongs to you. And Lord, that's just the way we want it to be. We bless you, Jesus. Thank you for teaching us. Make us more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.